Hello and welcome to Her Kind of Healthy, a health podcast series brought to you by Sanford Women's. I'm your host, Courtney Collin with Sanford Health News. We want to start new conversations about age-old topics from fertility and postpartum to managing stress, healthy living, and so much more. Her Kind of Healthy is designed to bring you honest conversations about self-care, happiness, your overall well-being with our Sanford Health experts. In this episode, we are focusing on seasonal affective disorder, what it is, how it affects us women, and what we need to know. I have the privilege of welcoming two guests for this conversation. I have Dr. Wendy Vetter, who is an internal medicine physician in Sioux Falls, working to help patients understand how nutrition, mental, and spiritual factors impact physical health. And I also have Carla Salem, a certified social worker who specializes in women's mental health. Thank you both for joining me. Thank you. Dr. Vetter, I'll start with you. Can you define seasonal affective disorder and explain how common it really is? Seasonal affective disorder is a variation on depression, and it's unique in that it seems to coincide with the fall and winter months and its onset, and it also resolves typically um, with the the coming of spring and summer. How common is seasonal affective disorder around here? So because we are in the Midwest and we have uh, shorter daytime hours in the winter, uh, we have a large amount of seasonal affective Mm. disorder, probably way underdiagnosed. And then the other part of it is there's kind of a continuum for some people. They don't have specifically seasonal affective disorder, but they are very affected by the shorter days because of the brain chemistry issues that that sunlight um, impacts serotonin levels. And so mm-hmm. when the days are shorter, serotonin levels decrease, which is kind of like serotonin is like the volume of your mood. So moods that would be just kind of stable and normal normally are all of a sudden a little louder, like anger is okay. a little more intense, sadness is a little bit more intense. So people can kind of feel that impact even without the official diagnosis of seasonal affective disorder. So expand on what is physiologically happening in the brain. You talk about serotonin levels when someone might be showing signs or symptoms um, potentially leading to a diagnosis of seasonal affective disorder. Well, serotonin is your, like I said, your um, your control over your mood. It, it, it's next to norepinephrine in your brain, which controls your thinking. So that's your anxiety neurotransmitter. And the two really work very closely hand in hand. So serotonin is should be more buoyant, and it becomes less buoyant when it's not exposed to sunlight. But it is a gen- a genetically predisposed. So oh. you're born with your brain chemistry. So that's kind mm-hmm. of the underlying or the initial kind of... Um, uh, indication that if you have a history of depression, then you might be more impacted by the by the winter um, or the seasonal affective disorder, the extra kind of uh, symptoms that come with it. But yeah, it gets we our brains, our brains, our our guts are also interconnected, and then it's interconnected with yeah. sleep because serotonin creates melatonin, which makes our sleep sustained. And then so in the shorter days, sleep can either be more or less. Mm-hmm. So you also have that sleep deprivation. Right. Yeah. I was going to mention the melatonin component as well in relation to cir- circadian rhythms. Yes. And I think that's um, part of also part of what we understand about seasonal affective disorder. So we talk about what's happening on the inside of our brain, um, but let's speak to the signs and symptoms. 
you talk about um, someone might be predisposed to seasonal affective disorder if they're potentially struggling with mental health or have history of depression. What are the signs and symptoms that we should be looking for? People will all have the typical signs of depression, which would be, you know, more lethargy, lack of energy, um, maybe more hopeless thoughts. Um, with seasonal affective disorder, there's some additional, like you tend to want to hibernate, not get out of bed. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the carbohydrates or the diet issue. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that yeah. with your patients? Yeah. Yeah, there's a craving for carbohydrates. It's maybe more intense symptoms, um, or it's just people just will report, I just don't feel like myself. This is, I'm, okay. I'm screaming at my kids, and I don't normally do that, and mm-hmm. I don't want to exercise. I normally exercise, but I don't feel like it. So it's like you take some of the things that they use for normal coping, and they don't have them anymore because they don't have the energy to do it. And that seasonal affective disorder is a little bit more slanted, in symptoms, they're um, consistent with uh, that fatigue, low energy, but sleeping more, um, weight gain, and increased mm-hmm. appetite. Whereas depression can sometimes go either way, um, where there are problems with insomnia um, or sleeping too much. There can be problems with loss of appetite or increased appetite, but we see more of the Hibernation, I think, is a good word right. to describe kind of the phenotype. So with every mood or um, anxiety, you always have three issues. You have the biological, you have the social, and then you have the psychological. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes people are coming off of Christmas. They might have seen mm-hmm. family, not seen family. They're still going through kind of sadness about maybe losses. Mm-hmm. And, and they have no winter trip planned. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they will become a little bit more. That also will impact people's mood beyond just seasonal affective disorder. And the key with making it a true diagnosis is that all of those symptoms impact your functioning, like Carla was saying. So your social functioning, your um, sometimes biologic function, um, and then, of course, memory and Mm -hmm. your work and... So you got, yeah, so every part of you gets kind of impacted. Mm -hmm. Kind of feels like a mess sometimes, people report. (laughs) So at what point... Is it time to seek help? And and at Sanford Health, where do you start? I would be biased to say you can start with your primary care doctor. I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> well, good thing we have both of you here. Yeah. <laughs> Just to confirm. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, we're very fortunate to have lots of options available um, to treat. I think sometimes just identifying it, naming it, and... Um, getting it out in the open is a relief for people. So just simply having somebody to talk to about it and, and empathize. And then we have medications that can help with treatment. And um, again, we have embedded our um, therapists and IHTs in our clinics to help with yes. the talking through what they can do for themselves. Let's expand on the treatment and what that patient journey might look like and what you know, as a therapist, as a social worker, Carla, and an expert in your field, like what you bring to the table and how collaboration works to benefit the patient? Well, oftentimes people will want to go the route of medication. So 
um, one of the things that can happen in therapy is kind of monitor how that's going and kind of explain what it does um, for folks. Uh, the other, another really good um, behavioral technique is light therapy. Um, mm. It's often used that it can restore what you're losing because of the winter time to your serotonin. Mm. And it's yeah. real affordable. It used to be like light boxes you had to rent because they were so expensive. Now you can jump on Amazon and get one for 60 bucks. And so that used throughout the winter time or when the days start getting shorter um, can also help in restoration. And then people just like, like Dr. Vetter said, normalizing the situation, just making sure people understand, because they'll be thinking, 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 and they'll come in and say, I think I'm crazy. And no, no, this is a very normal way that that people get during the winter time and, and explanation and then ideas on how to get out of bed and go take a walk or go outside even though it's really cold out yeah. um, to get some of those behavioral kinds of techniques to help. How might we support friends or loved ones who may be impacted by seasonal affective disorder? Well, one of the ways um, is just to understand and to listen. Um, a lot of times people don't want to talk about that with friends and loved ones because they think mm -hmm. that brings them down or, or they are a burden. And so yeah. just to be open, if you notice something different, somebody's kind of off, it doesn't hurt to just ask, you know, what's going on? Is there something I can do to help? And just to be a listening ear oftentimes is very supportive. I would say um, if you're concerned about someone or if someone comes to you saying, I've, I've been feeling down or blue, um, entering a conversation with curiosity. And I use that same phrasing with my staff in clinic too. Just don't make judgment. Um, just be open, patient, curious, mm -hmm. and they'll come to you with, um, with what they need. When, in their time. Oftentimes that's why we also um, in, you really encourage people to go to the, your medical doctor because those are usually people that a uh, patient trusts and so that's something you know they tell them all sorts of things I'm sure you hear a lot mm -hmm. and then can help guide them in a way so that can also be a place where friends and family can can uh, guide a patient to go to to talk to their doctor. Yeah wonderful to have that support. Relative to that we know winter can be a tough time of year, and if we don't like the cold, we tend to spend a lot of time indoors. So what tips or advice do you have to combat any additional stress this time of year? There are lots of things I could say about that. Um, I think, like Carlo was mentioning, uh, winter vacation or just even thinking about and planning forward to something in the future, whether or not mm -hmm. it's a trip. Um, so setting a goal, um, making sure we're focusing on getting adequate sleep, and in particular with seasonal affective disorder, having a very routine going to bedtime and getting out of bedtime can be helpful um, for maintaining, I guess, normal mood and energy, um, and focusing on diet and, and um, physical activity or exercise. Yeah. Um, definitely increases our endorphins and mm -hmm. that improves our mood. And beyond, you know, you want to make sure, just like, like Dr. Vetter was saying, that your foundation is as solid as can be, you know, the main eating and drinking water and sleeping and such. Um, and other ideas you can have is just to... Um, 
again, have some focus, have some directions, maybe some personal challenges um, during February or January, see how many books you can read or you can see, you know, how many steps you can walk, you know, like walking up your steps at your building or somewhere else and just challenge yourself yeah. to those kinds of things, those personal challenges. Also, you know, the planning, that's such a great idea. I mean, even starting to plan your garden, starting to, mm. you know, plant some seeds and have mm -hmm. a little greenhouse ready to go. Any of those things that distract you from, from any kind of doldrums and charges you into the future, just a little bit, uh, things that you can look forward to. Always good to plan ahead, especially thinking about those warmer months and those sunnier days. Is there anything else that I might not have asked you that you wanted to discuss on this topic of seasonal affective disorder and what women need to know about this? My high points would be it's really common. Um, don't keep it to yourself and it will get better. Excellent notes to end on. I agree. Carla Salem, Dr. Wendy Vetter, thank you so much for your time and your expertise and all that you do here at Sanford Health. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. I'm Courtney Collin. Have a great day.